And we're going to be reading these verses, these, this chapter, uh, in connection with the text for the sermon, the message this morning, which is these words from uh, chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So chapter 8, which we'll read from uh, in particular, it, it gives uh, more information on that phrase, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. So pay attention to that as we read, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 8. The point of what we are saying is this, we we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant which he mediates, which he is mediator, of which he is mediator, is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. We just read uh, the Ten Commandments from that covenant. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and above, or, and the stone tablets of the covenant. 
Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was standing. This is an illustration of the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And then we'll also read verse 24. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So far, our reading of God's word. This morning is taken from Hebrews 4, the chap- uh, this verses 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, to help us in our time of need. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are seasons in the life of a Christian where for one reason or another it may feel as though God is far away from you or that you are far away from him. It may be that through falling into a certain sin, you've been, become surrounded by a dense cloud of shame that covers you with an overwhelming sense of failure, so that you feel that you have so deeply disappointed your Heavenly Father that He must not want you to come into His presence. You're like the little boy who hides from his parents because he knows he's done something wrong. Or like the little girl who can't look into her parents' Look her parents in the eye for the same reason. Because she knows that she's done something wrong. She's filled with shame. Like Adam and Eve who hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
It may, may be that your own sin, with its guilt and shame, makes you feel like God is far away. Or maybe for another reason, it may be some kind of pain and suffering that leads you to feel this way. Perhaps you're going through a dark valley of chronic pain or depression or grief. And for all you can see or feel, there is no light at the end of this tunnel, no silver lining to these clouds. Feelings of joy and happiness can seem way beyond your reach. And perhaps at times it feels like God himself is far off in the distance, the other side of the mountain. It may be due to sin or it may be due to suffering. There are seasons in the Christian life, as I said, when for one reason or another it may feel as though God is far away from you or that you are far away from God. Well, it's in times like these that it's quite possible that you're going to feel like giving up. You may feel like you're all alone and you may feel like help is far away. But here's the good news of the gospel and also what we may focus on this morning from Hebrews chapter 4. If you belong to Jesus, brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus, though this may be what your feelings tell you, yet the word of God tells far better news. God's word assures every true believer in Jesus that you have in Jesus In the Son of God, you have a brother and a helper who brings God near to you and who brings you near to God so that looking unto Jesus, our forerunner, we will reach the finish line of the Christian race. This is the gospel message that comes to us from God's word in Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. And I summarize and preach this message to you under the theme of what it means that Jesus is our high priest. We'll see from our text that it means first, from verse 14, that he is our forerunner. And second, from verse 15 and 16, that he is our brother. Jesus is our high priest. He's our forerunner and he is our brother. So first then, that Jesus is our high priest means that he's our forerunner. The Christian life is in some ways comparable to a race. When we confess our faith in Jesus, we're not in for a leisurely stroll in the park. We're in for a strenuous marathon. This is the reality of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What it means to be a Christian. The Christian life is a race that calls for endurance. And there's going to be times when you're tempted to quit. When do you feel like giving up, dropping the baton, and leaving the racetrack? But you're not in this race on your own. You're surrounded by a whole team of runners. Look around you this morning. Your fellow Christians surround you in the race of the Christian life. But more than that, your team has a forerunner who's run ahead already and finished the race so that you can press on with the confidence that your team has actually already won the race. Of course, that's not a perfect analogy to a race, but this is the reality of what Jesus represents for us 
as our high priest. We have Jesus as our forerunner in the race that is our Christian lives. And because of this, we can keep on running and make it to the finish line. This analogy can help us understand verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. Take a look again at what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Or as another translation has it, let us hold fast our confession. With these words, the writer to the Hebrews encourages his Christian readers with the truth that they have a great high priest in the presence of God and he encourages them to keep going in their Christian faith and not give up when it gets difficult. And in fact, this is actually the message, overall message of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to encourage the first readers to hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ that they confessed and to warn them against giving it up when they face trials and temptations. And the way that the writer to the Hebrews grounded his encouragements was by showing how Jesus and the new covenant that he brings is far greater and far better than that which the Jews received in the old covenant, which was given through Moses. So that's, that's the whole book of Hebrews, and it's in this context that the writer refers in our text to Jesus as our great high priest. We have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Well, what makes Jesus a great high priest? Well, for one, he's not only a man, like the high priests of the old covenant in Israel, But he is, Jesus is also God at the same time. He's the Son of God. That's one thing that makes Jesus great, a great high priest. And what also also makes him great is this, that he's not merely gone through the curtain of the earthly tabernacle, passed through the earthly tabernacle to make atonement with the blood of animals, That's what the priests in the Old Covenant would do. But he has passed through the curtain, which that earthly tabernacle curtain represented. He has passed through the curtain of the heavens into the heavenly sanctuary, having atoned for sin with his own blood. As it says in Hebrews 9, verse 11, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And also says in Hebrews 9 verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, as the old covenant tabernacle was, which are copies of the true things, of the real thing, but he has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. This is what the writer means when he says in verse 14 of our text that Jesus as our great high priest has gone through the heavens. He has entered into the presence of God on our behalf just as in his life on earth and his death on the cross, 
it was also for our behalf. That is, it was in our place and for our benefit. You see, every step of Jesus' humiliation and exaltation as the Son of God who took on human flesh, from his birth by the Virgin Mary to his temptation in the Judean wilderness, from his rejection by the human race to his condemnation by the divine judge, but also from his resurrection to his ascension and his reigning at the right hand of the Father. Every step of Jesus' human existence was taken by Jesus for us, for our benefit, on our behalf. Now, insofar as he endured the punishment of our sins, the punishment that our sins deserve, he did it as our substitute. He did it in our place so that we are set free from condemnation and will never suffer the punishment of God for our sins. And yet Jesus was not only our substitute, he is also our forerunner in the race that leads through earthly suffering to heavenly glory. That is through the cross to the crown. And this is why it's so encouraging for Christians who are struggling to hold fast to their confession of the gospel to be reminded that we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven on our behalf. Because Jesus ascended into glory in the presence of God as our high priestly representative, because he crossed the finish line of the Christian race as our trailblazer and forerunner, because of this, looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, we may find encouragement to run with endurance the race that is set before us, holding fast our confession of the gospel to the very end. Because we have Jesus as our high priest who has run the race and crossed the finish line before us and also for us on our behalf, we may have confidence that we're not running this race in vain. It's not a lost cause. And the great prize of unclouded fellowship with God, nearness with God, it's already been won for us by our forerunner. And so let us run in the footsteps of Jesus, our forerunner, so as to receive the prize that he has won for us. Let us fix our faith on this great gospel fact that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And let's hold fast to our confession of the gospel that we too may finish our race, pass through the heavens. And as it says in 1 Thessalonians, that we may meet the Lord in the air on the final day, and so always be with the Lord in his glorious presence, with no more dark clouds making our God feel far away from us anymore or ever again. That Jesus is our great high priest means that as our forerunner on our behalf, he has ascended through the clouds into the presence of God. Why? So that we may look to him and his finished work on our behalf, and find in him, not in ourselves, but in him, find in him the strength and the encouragement that we need to persevere in faith and hope to the very end through a difficult life. How can we hold fast our confession to the end? Not by looking for strength within ourselves, but by finding strength in 
in our great high priest who has passed through the heavens, in Jesus, the Son of God. So how about you, my brother and my sister? Are you looking for strength to hold fast within yourself this morning, this past week? Or are you looking outside yourself to your high priest who is seated at the right hand of God? Brothers and sisters, lift up the eyes of your heart. Look up to Jesus as he's presented to you in the gospel as your ascended high priest and forerunner. And looking unto Jesus, press on with your faith and hope firmly rooted, rooted and anchored in him. As Hebrews 6 verse 19 to 20 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. And so, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is our high priest means that he is our forerunner. And then, two, that Jesus is our high priest means, in the second place, that he is our brother. The Bible speaks of Jesus as our brother in the sense that there, those who believe the gospel are adopted as children of God and so become adopted brothers and sisters of the eternal Son of God. And so it says in Romans 8, verse 29, Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So in this sense, Jesus is our brother by adoption. He's not, in this sense, our biological brother. But the Bible also speaks of Jesus as our brother in another sense, in which he actually shares our biological DNA. That is to say, he fully shares our human nature because the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, he took upon himself true human nature when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. And so Hebrews 2 verse 17 says that in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, the Son of God had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So we could say Jesus in his human nature is a biological brother. And that to all people, in the same sense that our forefather Adam was. He is just as human as Adam was, and just as human as you and I are. And the Bible teaches that this was necessary for him to become just as human as we are, for him to be our high priest. Part of what made it necessary for Jesus to share in our humanity in order for him to be our high priest was that it enables him to sympathize with the weaknesses of our human condition as one who has experienced them himself. 
And so he is able to represent us and intercede for us as one who is filled with brotherly love and compassion for us. So the writer of Hebrews focuses our faith on this encouraging truth in verse 15 of our text. He shows us what kind of brother we have in Jesus, our high priest. Take a look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. This is the kind of brother, brothers and sisters, that you have in Jesus. He's not a brother who's so different from you that he can't relate to your trials and temptations. But he is a brother with whom you share much in common, who's been through the same kinds of struggles and sufferings as you have, and who because of this is able to relate to you in an intimate way. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. The writer of Hebrews emphasizes this with a double negative. He says, we do not have a high priest who is not able. Well, what is this to say? It is to say that we do have one who is able. Able to what? To sympathize with our weaknesses. What does it mean to sympathize? Literally, it means to feel what another person is feeling. It's to put yourself in their shoes, so to speak, and to consider how they must feel in their situation. Not from your perspective, but from their perspective. Well, Jesus is able to do that for you, brothers and sisters. As you struggle with whatever it may be that you are struggling with, you have a brother at the right hand of God who is able to put himself in your shoes and feel your struggle like you feel your struggle. He can put himself in your shoes because he has been through a comparable struggle himself. Our text says he's been tempted in every respect as we are. The meaning of that word tempted is not limited to temptations to sin. It includes that, but it has a broader meaning as well that includes all forms of testing and trials. Jesus has experienced every form of temptation and trial that you and I have. Jesus wept. He experienced pain and anguish of body and soul. He was despised and rejected, abandoned and forsaken. He was mistreated and misunderstood. He has experience with unfulfilled longings and desires. He experienced the limits of human ability to suffer pain and sorrow. The key difference between Jesus and us when it comes to such experiences is that he was without sin. He responded to them all without any hatred for men and without any anger toward God and without ever resorting to sinful ways of dealing with pain. But far from lessening his ability to sympathize with us, this only heightens it. 
Since in his sinlessness, Jesus withstood or bore with temptation far beyond the point where we cave in and collapse, giving in to temptation. And so the fact that our brother has never sinned doesn't take away from his ability to sympathize with us. It adds to it. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is able to, because he was tempted and tried in every respect as we are, yet without sin. This is a truth that the Bible presents to us for our comfort and encouragement as we go through trials and face temptations in our lives as Christians. Surely, you and I both have and experience weaknesses as we seek to hold fast our confession of the gospel, as we seek to hold on in faith and hope until we reach the finish line. Yes, we have weaknesses. We are only human, and we live in a world awash with sin and brokenness. We have weaknesses, but we also have a compassionate high priest who is able to sympathize with them as our brother. And not only that, but we have a sympathetic brother as our high priest before the throne of God above, who ever lives to make intercession for us as an advocate with the Father on our behalf. As one hymn writer has put it, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence to part. And so also in verse 16 of our text, the writer of Hebrews moves from the fact that we have such a a high priest, one who is our brother, he moves to point out what kind of response this should lead us to. He writes in verse 16, look at verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Notice the word then in that verse, at the beginning of the verse. It's the third word. Let us then. In this case, this word means therefore. And this word It grounds the exhortation of verse 16 in the gospel of verse 15. That is to say, precisely because we have such a compassionate high priest in Jesus Christ, let us, for this very reason, take courage to approach the throne of God with our petitions for mercy and our requests for help. And again, precisely because we have our brother Jesus Christ right there in the throne room of God as our sympathetic high priest, for this very reason, let us be confident that the throne that we approach is not a throne of harsh anger and frowning condemnation or perhaps reluctance to help, but it is a throne of tender mercy and smiling welcome. Because the God who sits on that throne is the Father of our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands before the throne on our behalf. 
Because of Jesus, brothers and sisters, you can come to God the Father in your time of need and make your petitions and requests for grace, mercy, and help. You may do so with confidence that he hears and answers your prayers with a compassionate and understanding heart. And because of Jesus, who as our high priest offered up himself as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins on the cross. We don't have to hide in fear and shame like Adam and Eve who hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But we may draw near into the very presence of God through faith in our high priest whose perfect righteousness covers over our sin. The very fact that we have Jesus as our high priest, as our brother and forerunner in the presence of God, this is a gospel call to constantly and confidently turn to the Lord in your time of need. Don't turn away from him. Don't draw back. Come near. And come near, not simply for escape out of your struggles, but also come near in the middle of your struggles for mercy and grace to help you in the midst of those struggles. Or to put that in other words, your time of need, your trial and temptation in view of the gospel, it is an invitation to deeper fellowship with God through faith in Christ. As many experienced Christians can tell you, There are actually greater riches of fellowship with God to be experienced in the heat of trial and suffering than in the height of ease and pleasure. And it's to be experienced through drawing near in those times to the throne of grace. By God's grace, the waves of suffering have a way of casting us upon the rock as Charles Spurgeon once pointed out, that rock being Jesus. When God's word invites us in our time of need to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, it's not just talking about a quick fix. It's inviting us to the lasting rest and relief for our souls that comes through fellowship with God in Christ. So as we draw this sermon to a close, let's ask ourselves, how have I been responding to the trials and temptations that are in my life? Have I been responding in a way that fits with this gospel truth that I have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who's able to sympathize with my weaknesses? Have I been holding fast to my confession of the gospel? Have I been drawing near to the throne of grace in a manner and with a frequency that's consistent with the gospel? The God is, in Jesus Christ, an approachable God. Is that how you live and commune with God every day? Dear believers in Jesus, you have a great and sympathetic high priest. That means you have a forerunner and a brother before the throne of God above. 
And so let us hold fast and draw near. Amen.